Yep. <laughs> ready to rock? I'm ready. Um, all right. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited. We got my really good friend and a real estate freaking badass, Brian Kane, today uh, here to talk to us and just share some of his just experience and knowledge. Uh, Brian's been in the business for a long time. Uh, he's built up massive brokerages. Uh, he has managed teams of, of agents. And so he is just, he's done it all. Um, he, he literally, I, I you, you have um, Keller's like, you, you've like texted, right? Gary Keller? Yeah, you know, it's been a good run in real estate. You know, my family uh, has been in real estate for over five decades now. So I grew up in a real estate family where my uncles, cousins, dad, mom, you know, everybody was in real estate in some form or fashion, which meant growing up, the only thing I knew for certain was I was not going to get into real estate. <laughs> Here I am 19 years later, uh, pretty integrated. So I started my career off as an independent broker back when I was uh, 24 years old. And at the time, I was just using that entrepreneurial spirit to go out and build a business. I wasn't so interested in, in selling real estate as I was building a real estate business and a real nice. estate brand. And then using that platform to, of course, help people buy, sell, and invest, but also manage people, train people, coach people. Uh, real estate has so many facets to it of marketing and technology and everything else. So um, it was a really good uh, platform for me to launch my career. Yeah, and, and I think that's what makes it like so awesome um, to have you come on here and, and, and talk to our Lotus Launch audience because you have done so much training and so much like development of agents and employees, um, and, and you've weathered some storms. You've seen some really down times. You've seen some really good times, um, having you know gone through multiple housing swings. Um, and we're in a kind of an interesting spot right now in real estate. Yeah. I think things are getting um, a little interesting with the market. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, what are you with your team? What are you telling them on, on what they should be doing right now and focusing on? Well, I like to use the word interesting. Um, it's only interesting uh, for those people who haven't experienced anything but an up market. Mm. And, um, you know, again, just kind of going through my history, I got started in the business in 2004, and that was an up market. And from 2004, five, six, seven, oh, eight, it was gangbusters. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely fantastic until it wasn't. And. Um, you know, I was coming off my best year ever in 2007 um, at 29 years old. And all of a sudden, the market just took an abrupt uh, turn mm. uh, for the worse. And um, it's weird because those folks who had been in the industry prior, those folks who had invested in real estate and had seen some market cycles, it didn't come as any surprise. But for folks who were in the business from 2000 to 2008, all of a sudden, it just felt like, you know, where did this come from? Nobody saw this right. coming. Market correction. <laughs> so I think it is a matter of perspective. You used some words at the top of the uh, intro there. Um, I do think that after 20 years in the business, having um, uh, helped manage or launch or train or coach um, well over uh, 1,500 agent careers, having sold, um, mm. you know, over 1,600 homes myself during that time, I do think that that experience brings a level of experience, perspective, yeah. and knowledge um, that I'm happy to share. Um, so what I'm what I'm uh, most communicating to agents right now is that this is not a bad market. Um, this mm -hmm. is not a market to be uh, stressed and nervous. Um, the only reason why it's interesting is because buyers and sellers aren't just falling from the sky like they did, um, you know, just post pandemic um, lockdown till about uh, you know spring of last year. Um, that was probably one of the best real estate markets 
in modern times where you had interest mm. rates in the mid twos, a work from anywhere culture in the United States that allowed buyers and sellers to be quite mobile throughout the United States, which meant that we simply just borrowed a lot of transactions from the future. Right. There were people who took early retirement, sold their home in San Diego, for example, and moved to Idaho. Right. There are people mm. from Chicago who said, if I could ever just work remotely from my job and live in San Diego, I will. And um, I think during that that two year run, we probably borrowed almost about one year's worth of um, buyers or sellers from the future. In San Diego County, for example, you know, a typical year we might be transacting 30 or 32,000 home sales, somewhere in that range. Um, in our peak year, you know, in 2021, we sold like 43, 44,000 oh, homes. Man. Um, wow. So, you know, in doing that kind of two years in a row, we, we really kind of uh, borrowed about, about 20,000 transactions from the future. So, what we're mm. seeing now is a little bit of a, of a slowdown in the number of, of, of homes available to purchase. Yeah. If I can unwind and go back, um, you know, about nine, 10 months, um, you know, market was still really moving here in Southern California through, uh, you know, April, May of, of 2022. Um, and as we know, right around uh, May-ish, uh, that's when interest rates went from two and a half to three and a half to oh, all of a sudden. And they just didn't stop. Just... Yeah. Six, six and a quarter, six and a half percent, and people didn't necessarily know how to react. But here's here's my here's my interpretation. You see, if we're going to sell about thirty, thirty-five thousand homes a year, something of that nature, that means at any given month we're going to sell twenty-five hundred to three thousand homes, mm. which means we've got about seventy-five hundred buyers right now. If we took a snapshot, there's seven thousand five hundred buyers who are motivated and qualified. Yep. out speaking with their real estate agent, going to open houses, looking at properties. And that snapshot of folks are going to be the folks who end up buying over the next 90-day cycle. Well, all of a sudden, in May, June of 2022, you had 7,500 buyers pre-qualified at 3% yep. with the expectation of going to buy a million-dollar home. And within just two to three weeks, they realized that their qualification went from $1 million to $700,000. Mm. You see, when interest rate rates go up just one percentage point, in order to maintain the same payment, a home buyer can only afford 10% less. Wow. So if rates go up three points, you now can afford a home that's 30% less if you want to maintain essentially that same monthly payment. And if you enter the market, you're already looking at houses that what you had at the buying power at that moment in time. So the interest rates go up. Now, all of a sudden, you're feeling so disappointed that like, that's oh, it's man, what do you mean? I can only get this house now? And that perspective I'm talking about, knowledge, you know, experience, and perspective, that perspective is expectation. Yeah. So you had, you had a segment of buyers and a segment of buyer's agents and a whole segment of sellers who expected mm. there to be more demand than there were inventory. You know, there is inventory. Buyers who were expecting to pay a certain price for a home uh, yep. based on their interest rate. And it took about three to four months to readjust because what happened is those 7,500 uh, home buyers. I would say, you know, again, I don't know if this is not an exact statistic, but what it felt like is that about 75% of those people left the market. Sure. So 25% of the folks who hung in there got creative with their financing, found sellers who were willing to do rate buy-downs, and still ended up transacting in a very sluggish fashion. And uh, sellers also had missed expectations where they were expecting to sell their home June and July. And when all of a sudden demand dipped, you did see a lot of sellers get aggressive and giving buy downs, lowering their price point. And so at the yep. end of the day, in San Diego County, we went up about 20% in home values to the first half of the year. 
and then dropped another 10% in the back half of the year, which is interesting because mm. we finished 2022 up 10% in value, but just down in the number of transactions that happened. Right. So now all of a sudden you take Q4. All the new buyers coming to the market saying, you know what, I want to, I want to either buy before the end of the year or my expectation is to buy in the Q1 of next year. Those buyers started getting pre-qualified and said, okay, I want to buy a home. What are rates? Yeah. Lenders are quoting five and a half to 6% interest. And now they have proper expectations. Yes, totally. You're going to see a theme here as I answer your question, which is, I think markets are just a matter of expectations. It's a, mm. it's a matter of buyer and seller sentiment. And it's a matter of, of agent expectations as well. If, if, if you're an agent who's sitting back expecting that the market will just get better this summer and it'll be easier to sell a home, again, I don't think that that expectation is going to align with reality. Yeah, market, like you said, we were in a weird spot, right? The last few years were actually the anomaly. And now we're almost entering back into kind of, I wouldn't say normal, but maybe a little bit more of a normal um, uh, comparatively speaking to 2021, which was just bananas. Um, and, and so balanced, um, <clears throat> right. You know, uh, that's normal, that's much really better. Normal about real estate. It's just balanced. <laughs> that that uh, we actually still have more buyer demand than we do available inventory. And that's actually, mm. keeping, that's actually stabilized the market. So despite rates being five and a half, six percent, um, we still have not enough inventory available in Southern California to support the number of buyers who want to buy. Now that transaction count's gonna be less. Um, you know, we're not gonna sell 43, 45,000 homes in San Diego County this year. We'll sell probably closer to, to 30,000 homes, Got it. which means about a third of the transactions that were out there and available for agents to grab or aren't there. And the agents who remain in the business and are willing to put in the work and build great relationships are going to have to fight for a third less transactions than what we saw in the two years prior. Mm. And yet 30,000 homes means there's 60,000 opportunities to earn a commission because there's a buy side and a sell side. Right. And, and if you have 60,000 opportunities and you're a real estate agent looking to make 150, 250, 350,000 a year, and the reality is, is you only need to snag about 12 to 36 of those 60,000 opportunities. Right. Totally. It's manageable. It's, it's completely manageable. And um, I'm going to go back to another fundamental as well. Your database is your business. Mm. That's the mantra. And that's just a truth. You can ask Jeffrey Bezos, who actually has built the world's largest database. Right. And he did that at a financial loss per year. But there's no, I don't think there's any other person in the world who has the name, address, phone number, email address, mm. and consumer habits than Bezos. Right. And that's what he built was the world's largest, largest database. And it's the same for a real estate agent. If they're expecting to go meet somebody off the street and... You know, when buyers were so hungry to capture a two and a half percent interest rate, they'd work with any agent who could seemingly get them. Right. right. With with buyers being a little bit more discretionary over the condition of properties, they want to work with an agent that three things. And if you know, if I was if I was listening to this particular conversation, here's one that I would write down. Right. People follow leaders when they know that the leader cares about them. Mm. when they know that the leader, when they know they can trust the leader and when they believe that the leader can help them. 
And now more than ever, diving deep into our database to continue to communicate that level of care, trust, and help, I think is the number one thing that agents can do to continue to thrive in their business today. And it's going to, it's going to require more conversations than they had two years ago. I, I love the concept of be the leader to your database and in your contacts and your sphere, because it's so much more than, and, and this is my, my a pet peeve of mine, which is, Hey, just call them to check in. That's, that's a worthless like line to say to somebody. And that's, mm -hmm. and, and a, when you say you're a leader, be a leader, be someone they can trust, someone that they can respect, someone that they, that you can help them. Um, you know, being a leader to the people that you're connected with means showing up and bringing more value. It means thinking harder about how to have an impact and, and positively connect with that person in a meaningful way um, is, is uh, I, I feel like, is a piece of that. Yeah. And so how are you enriching your database? When I say your database is your business, one, there's a formula. You know, how many people in your database does it take to spit out a deal every year? You know, there's lots of models. Um, you know, if you've read uh, Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent uh, book, it's simply just a white paper after studying agents for years and years and years and years. And at the end of the day, you know, for about every 24 people in your database who have been properly communicated to over a period of time, that should spit out a deal. Hmm. Right? So you want to sell 10 deals a year, make sure you've got at least 250 people in your database who are hearing from you on a regular basis that you're providing actual real value to, who trusts you, who knows that you care about them and believes that when it's time to transact on real estate, you're the one who can help them. And so that comes down to how large is your database? Yep. How often are you communicating with your database? And what are you saying when you do? So frequency wise, are you talking like daily, monthly, quarterly, yearly? What, I mean, what do you I do? I think it depends on the relationship, but I follow a basic model of touching people about three times a month. Okay. And I'm going to do that through different mediums. I'm going to make sure that they're getting at least a quarterly phone call from me mm -hmm. uh, or uh, a representative on our team who they, um, um, who can, who can speak with them. Um, I'm going to make sure they're getting at least a couple of emails a month. Right. Some of it's going to maybe be curated to the value of their home or what's happening in their particular neighborhood. One might just be uh, just a kind of a top of mind email uh, about the market or about some trends or about design trends. Again, something that um, is not spammy, that actually if yeah. they take time to read it, they'd appreciate it. Um, I'm also going to stay in touch at least quarterly with printed publications. Okay. Um, and I'm also going to send out um, some items of value, maybe two times a year. I might send out a, a sports calendar or a, a something that they, something tangible, physical that they can yeah. use. Kind of a campaign that, style. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And you know what? Um, I still think absolutely, absolutely client events are some of the most important things you can do. Okay. If you're talking about building a database and building relationships and being leveraged. How much time does it take you to have 300 conversations? versus host one event where 300 people come to you in mm. one place. And, and what, what would an event look like? I mean, you're not renting um, out like a stadium. Could be, it could be an endless summer party, right? You could just be um, getting a venue, uh, bringing in a taco cart and a bartender oh, yeah. and inviting people to come and network and hang out and have fun. Mm. Um, one thing that I've done now for almost a decade is I, I throw a chili cook-off uh, that happens every spring. It's wonderful. We get a permit at the local park. Uh, it's it's uh, your your ticket 
The cost of entry is either bringing a libation to share or a chili <laughs> entry. Uh, we usually have like two to 250 people. We have 20 to 30 chili entries. And it's become now something that people look forward to. It's a, it's now part of the community. Everybody looks forward to it. Um, this last winter here in December, we did a snow day. Same thing, got a permit at a local park that has a nice steep grade. Nice. Uh, we brought four tons of snow in. Uh, <laughs> we were all over the side of the mountain, and we had we yeah. had California kids in their flip flops and boogie boards just scooting awesome. down the snow. How fun! And uh, uh, last thing, you know, I think client events went by the wayside uh, during COVID because people were afraid to gather. Sure. Um, and then also people got so busy. I think they took for granted the need for building community and doing those events. Mm. But just as a, another example, some of the client events we were doing during COVID was, um, you know, I, I, I'm a friend, I, I befriended a local uh, restaurant owner who owns an amazing deli here in town. And so we put the message out to everybody that they can come pick up a to-go dinner at this deli. Nice. Um, I sponsored it, uh, you know, obviously, uh, paid for the dinners. I did it at a discount with the local deli who also was promoting his brand sure. as well. So we had lots of people come pick things up. Uh, during Thanksgiving, we put out an event that allowed people to uh, get a pie delivered to them. So we took uh, pumpkin pie and apple pie orders. Nice. And then our team went to Costco and the 12 of us uh, mapped out the whole county and we started delivering pies all day. Um, and the last example is we also did a night at the drive-in theater. What better mm. way to social distance than to rent out um, and pay for a drive-in? People got to stay in their own pods, in their own cars, nice. sit outside and, and watch a movie and, and enjoy a day outside of the, the house. So there's always a way and there's always a reason mm -hmm. to build community and, and be in touch with the database in that way. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have, it can be small. It can be, you know, so like you can match the event to where you're at. Like to, to, to where are you? How big is your database? Maybe your database is only 75 people. Okay, great. Maybe you have a little happy hour or something and, and 25 people show up. But that relationship building with those 25 is going to strengthen so much just from that one interaction. And you might do that once or twice a year. And then as you start to build your database, your events can start to kind of build with it and kind of grow as you grow. And if you've already got a big database, man, now's probably the time to start thinking about getting together and, and renting a park. Uh, a pavilion in a park and, and, you know, hosting something kind of fun, you know, have the kids and families come on and, and make it a good time. You can really underwrite these things for free. So especially I, I like to, I like to believe that if I'm going to get that many people together, then we've got to give back to the community in which we live, work and play. Yeah. So every time I have an event, I also offer an opportunity to raise money for local charity, whether it's uh, big brothers, big sisters, feeding America, or I have a charity called cane cares, which helps, um, prevent homelessness here in San Diego uh, through hardship grants and things like that. Um, and when you're doing th something charitable in nature, and you do something uh, where you can get other businesses to meet your database. Because, I mean, what better way for me to help another business owner, let's say a contractor, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say a landscaping service. Let's say a um, you know, somebody who's going to be RESPA compliant, right? I'm not talking about mortgage yeah. title. I'm talking about um, insurance agents. I can call them up and say, hey, listen, I'm hosting a party where 250 people who trust me the most with their uh, real estate are going to come and gather and we're going to hang out. How would you feel about helping sponsor that and underwrite that? You can bring you and your team. And while you're there, I'll make sure to make an introduction to 
of hmm. at least 20 or 30 people personally to let you know that you're my preferred insurance agent. How do you feel about right. that? Right. And, and, and you so, already know these people. Like you already know these people and you, and, and you're doing them a favor by being the one organizing it and bringing a new audience in front of them. Yeah. And look at these are long-term plays, right? It, you know, I know oftentimes agents are just looking for their next commission because they got a mortgage to pay. Uh, during, of course, during the pandemic, they said, oh man, I'm going to go buy a Tesla. Now they have an $1,100 a month car payment to keep up with. <laughs> and they're just looking for their next deal. Yikes. Looking for their next deal. And so um, I think what's allowed me to sell between 100 to 130 homes a year, you know, consistently for the last 12 years is that I had a mentor tell me, you always play the long game. Mm. When you play the short game, you're transactional. When you play the long game, you're relational. And it's about planting seeds and nurturing seeds uh, because the work we do today, some, some of that might show up 90 days from now in the form of a commission check. But in my right. experience, the work that I put in today is going to show up 18, 24, 36 months down the road, which is fine with me because of the homes that I'm listing for sale, the buyers that I'm helping now are all people I've been nurturing over the last two or three years. Yeah. And I don't wake up every morning going, where's my next deal coming from? Because I know it's sitting there right in the database. I love it. It's, it's, yeah. it's about, and you know, and there's no better time to start than now, you know, and, yeah. and you don't want to wait to, to cultivate those relationships. And as you mentioned, some deals will fall out of it sooner than later. Um, and, and, but most of those deals are, you know, going to be happening in the future. Um, and that's going to, this effort you put in today in order to be where you want to be tomorrow, um, which is fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for coming on board and, and sharing just, yeah, uh, no problem. Uh, I, I did want to share one more thing yeah. with that just because I'll keep you, you here know, all day. Um, so. <laughs> I, nobody succeeds their way to success. And I definitely failed my way, my way here on many levels. And so, um, I don't know exactly who your listenership is. Maybe these are top, top producing agents. Uh, maybe these folks who are just getting into the business. Maybe these are folks who got in the business three years ago, had a good couple of years and are really trying to find their way. Um, I can tell you that it has not been a straight line for me. Mm. And, you know, uh, things were rocking for me all the, all the way through 2007. Market turned in a way that I wasn't, uh, uh, that, that, that missed my expectations. I wasn't prepared and ready for it. And all of a sudden, I'm going into 2008, um, having not sold a house in about four months, um, having expenses that were way over what I was bringing in. And I needed to really change my habits. So one of the things that I did um, in the spring of 2008 was I made a commitment to get up an hour and a half earlier than I normally would. I started getting into the office around 7.45, 8 in the morning rather than, you know, 8.45 to 9.15. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, at the time, I, I was reducing some expenses, so I got rid of an independent office that I, uh, that I had. And I, got, I went into like a shared office suite. But the only little office that they had for me in this building that I that I wanted to go into uh, was in the subfloor, like the sub basement, right? It was below grade. It had no windows. It had Ooh. cinder block walls. And what I did was I get in there with my lateral file. I used some more cinder blocks in a, in a plank <laughs> of wood. Bought my laptop there, and I pasted a sign right on the wall that said "Make the calls." Because yeah. at that point, I knew that the only thing that was going to get me to where I needed to be was to increase my activities. Yep. And so by getting in earlier, I spent the first two hours of my day from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Rather than checking emails, checking in, doing what I did before, I spent the first two hours of my day making as many phone calls as I possibly could 
to more people. Yeah. And at the time, I went from being an independent contractor to coming or independent broker to joining Keller Williams. Now, whether you're with Compass or Keller Williams or Berkshire Hathaway or Remax, or it doesn't matter. The point is this. If you're with a large firm, especially, you've got contacts across the country and you can go out and build your agent-to-agent database. Mm-hmm. So from 2008, from March of 2008 to the end of that year, I spent two hours a day, five days a week, picking up the phone, and I would just call offices all around the country. Oh, I'd call nice. Denver, Colorado, and I'd say, hey, my name's Brian Kane. I'm with Keller Williams in San Diego. I was wondering if I could speak with uh, one of your top producers who's in the office right now. Oh, sure. What is this regarding? Oh, I'm calling about a referral. I got through every time the yep. top producer, and I would say, hey, Jabez, Brian Kane here, Keller Williams, San Diego. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? What can I do for you? Oh, fantastic. Hey, listen, I was just going through my database and I realized that I don't have a referral partner in Denver, Colorado. I was wondering, are you still open to receiving more uh, business by referral? Oh, well, of course. Fantastic. Um, so let me ask you a question. If you had a client who was selling in San Diego and moving to Denver, or maybe who was somebody that you knew who was going to buy in San Diego, do you already have a great relationship with a real estate agent in San Diego that you would refer to? <sighs> Jeez. Um, no, I mean, maybe up in Los Angeles, but not in San Diego. I, you know what? Fantastic. I'm calling today to find out if you want to be referral partners. You see, I've been in the business seven years. I'm consistently selling close to 100 homes a year at this point. And I've got the experience, perspective, and knowledge to really make you look good, make sure you get paid on your referral, but most importantly, take amazing care of the clients. Would you mind being referral partners with me? No, uh, send me some more information. That sounds fantastic. Well, that's exactly what I want to do. I just, in order to be referral partners, I just want to be able to send you one email a month just so I stay top of mind. Would you mind if I add you to my database as my Denver referral partner? Sure. That's not too bad. I can do one a month. Fantastic. I'll shoot you over your information. Make sure to reply back. I'll get all your information into the database and I look forward to having future conversations with you. I look forward to connecting later. Thanks for the call, Brian. Great. So I did that and I added 20 <laughs> agents a day. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> 20 agents a day. And to this day, um, you know, 87.2% of my business in the last 10 years has come by referral. Mm. 18% of that comes from agent to agent referral. Yeah. Now, when I'm selling 100 to 130 homes a year, that means 18 to 24 <sighs> deals a year come right. from agent to agent referrals. And in my market, Huge. 24 deals is about a half a million dollars of GCI. It's time to change habits, increase activities, build a database, build relationships, and make sure that our buyers and sellers and ourselves are having the proper expectations of the market of the moment. So, man, love it. That's freaking awesome. Thank you. I love that. You we got a role play right in the middle of it. That's fantastic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I, hope, uh, I hope I brought some value to, uh, to your oh, organization and, and whoever's listening in today. Awesome. And, uh, happy to call me anytime, man. Great. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we'll put your LinkedIn and, and uh, your website uh, in the notes so that people can can go connect with you. Um, which would be fantastic. And of course, if they're agents and they need a good referral partner, I can't imagine anybody to recommend in the San Diego area more than Mr. Kane. So thank you so you much, Brian. never too busy for your referral. <laughs> I love it. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, you, Beth. Bye.